Hi, this is Pod Save the UK. I'm Nish Kumar, and this week I've got a very special guest co-presenter. It's me. I'm Liz Bates, and today I'll be joined in the studio by Will Young. And let me just say, teenage me is very excited about that. Yes, he'll tell us about his journey from pop idol to political campaigner. Plus, why Labour has finally decided to call for a ceasefire in Gaza. Hi, Liz. Hello. Thanks for uh, sitting in for Coco Khan this week. Thank you so much for having me. You've been on the show before, but your day job uh, is political correspondent at Sky News, though you have been absent from your day job for a very specific reason of late. I have uh, had a child. Um, Congratulations. Thank you so much. And I have been successfully keeping that child alive for five months. And so when uh, uh, your producer rang me yesterday and said, did I want to come and do... Not that I'm not a huge fan of this podcast, but he basically offered me the chance to leave the house for a few hours. And I was like, (laughs) yes, please. (laughs) So here I am. <laughs> you didn't even ask any follow-up questions. I, d- I don't care what no, it is. No, no, I did, he didn't even get to the end of the sentence. I, I had no idea what he was offering. He could have been saying, "Do you want to go on a trip to the local sewage works?" And I was like, "Sure, I'm in. I get to leave the house. That's it. That's that's good enough for me." Um, so yeah, usually I'm the political correspondent on Sky News. Uh, it's rather different from this. It's quite formal. Um, you know, I've ha- it's lots of light studios, huge amount of makeup. So this is this is a nice treat for me. And last time I came on, uh, when I was a guest, I remember waiting to come onto the show and just hearing you guys uh, doing swearing, and I was very excited because yeah, I was like, "Whoa, a bit of swearing! Not allowed to do that on Sky." So uh, yeah, I'm doing a lot of fucking swearing on this podcast. Listen, fucking swear away, mate. If there's <laughs> if there's one thing I like to cultivate, it's an atmosphere where people can swear and look as bad as they want to. And I lead by example on that, Liz. You are being incredibly successful at that. <laughs> it says in the script here, prompt Nish uh, <laughs> to tell me about New York. So tell me about your adventures in New York. My image of you in New York is sort of Carrie Bradshaw, like sitting, yes. looking wistfully out of the window... What came yeah, first, I, the laughter or the love? Or, you know, something like that. Is that is that what it's like? Yeah, that's right. I'm frequently uh, tottering around in my Louboutins in a uh, pink <laughs> miniskirt. Where uh, it's uh, it's quite the spectacle. Um, my, I would say the main image of me in New York, Liz, is I go from uh, work meeting to work meeting to stand up gig to restaurant where I eat like I've been told that the apocalypse is imminent. It's. I've been doing a sort of. I. 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 I'd describe it as a sort of gout tour of Manhattan and Brooklyn. Okay, it's a. It's a bit further from Carrie Bradshaw than uh, than I was imagining. Uh, but yeah, fair I, I enough. I, I don't remember uh, an episode of Sex in the City that ends with Carrie Bradshaw going, and that's when I realised maybe I needed a Rennie. <laughs> Just chugging Gaviscon. Yeah. Yeah, it's a special, a special Sex of the City indigestion special. It's safe to say the internet shared pretty strong thoughts on Sony's newest movie, Madam Web. On yesterday's Keep It episode, hosts Louis and Ira break down the Spider-Verse spin-off film and J-Lo's This Is Me Now movie. Plus, actress Danielle Brooks joins to talk about her film The Colour Purple. For more pop culture coverage, tune in to new episodes of Keep It every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts. Rarely does politics feel so out of step with the real world than on days like today. So on the day we record this, Labour has been attempting to avoid what's essentially a political trap laid for it by the SNP over its stance on Gaza. The SNP's tabled a motion calling for an immediate ceasefire and Labour is desperate to avoid a repeat of what happened the last time the SNP did this in November when 56 Labour MPs rebelled, including 10 front benches one of whom was Jess Phillips, uh, who all quit in order to vote for it in defiance of the Labour leadership's position. Labour's new position, supporting an immediate humanitarian ceasefire, is set out in an amendment to the SNP motion. Here's Shadow Foreign Secretary David Lammy explaining that Labour has shifted because the situation in Gaza has evolved. Keir Starmer and I have been calling for weeks for the fighting to stop, for aid to get in. The situation has evolved and on the ground it is intolerable and the Rafa attack cannot go ahead. We are following our Five Eyes partners 
Australia, New Zealand and Canada, who a few days ago made it clear that there has to be an immediate humanitarian ceasefire. We are mirroring that language and indeed the language now of the United Nations. Everyone wants the fighting to stop, but we also want this to be a permanent cessation of violence. It's absolutely clear that that ceasefire has to last and our motion also talks about the circumstances in which we can see a lasting and sustainable immediate ceasefire. Liz, t- talk me through how we've come to this point. If we take a step back from all of this, what has really happened is, and this happens so much in Westminster, is that the most serious, important politics that can ever take place, which you know is to do with an international conflict where people are dying right now and suffering horrendous uh, experiences. Instead of Westminster focusing on working with the international community to get to a, a serious and measured position that could actually change things in the Middle East, we get this ridiculous, petty Westminster politics that kind of uh, takes all these arcane procedures in Parliament and people trying to use them to gain tiny little bits of political advantage. And what you're really seeing here is the SNP with their motion and the government, I think, with their amendment, they are trying to exploit uh, genuine divisions, I think, within the Labour Party. Um, and all probably because it's an election year and people are looking at the possibility of a Labour government and thinking, well, this is one area where we can uh, try and divide the Labour Party and gain a political advantage from it. How incredibly pathetic. The conversations that have been happening uh, sort of as we record today have been about whether uh, the Speaker of the House, Lindsay Hoyle, was going to allow the Labour amendment to the SNP motion to happen. Uh, And we just learned that Lindsay Hall is going to allow that. So they're going to debate the SNP motion with the government amendment and the Labour amendment. The convention would usually be that uh, the SNP would lay a motion, the government could amend it, and uh, no other party would usually uh, amend it. Uh, But... uh, I assume because of the the gravitas of the situation and presumably the strength of feeling from MPs, uh, they've decided to uh, vote on all the different amendments and those votes will take place this evening. So by the time this podcast goes out, we'll know what the upshot uh, of all of this is. But I think important to remember as well, like, look, this is not the vote on the Iraq war. We're not deciding to send troops in. We're not deciding on government legislation or government policy. This is just a motion. So this is just Parliament saying this is what we think. And there are quite thin dividing lines between the different motion and amendments that have gone down because, let's be honest, every single MP in the House of Commons would like to see an end to the violence in the Middle East. There are differences of opinion on how uh, how we can get there. It's also worth pointing out as well that, you know, Benjamin Netanyahu is not sitting watching BBC Parliament waiting to see which amendment uh, gets through. It's it's all utterly pointless and using parliamentary procedure uh, to play politics. And it's it's irritating that we end up, you know, going down these rabbit holes and, and covering this as if it's really important. It's actually not. Um, the US is now uh, calling for a temporary ceasefire. Pre- presumably, Liz, that's of more consequence to Benjamin Netanyahu. Is there a sort of suggestion that maybe some of the international opinion is turning on his response to the terrorist attacks on October the 7th? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it's been coming for a while, right? The shifting position when it comes to a ceasefire. And I think that's because of the images that we've seen coming out of Gaza. The only, I think, um, government that makes any difference to what goes on Uh, in Israel, the only government that really holds sway uh, is the US. And so uh, I think it's uh, it's important that their position has changed. They're not going to take any notice, uh, really, of certainly not the leader of the opposition and uh, definitely not the leader of the SNP. You know, Rishi Sunak has a tiny part to play in this and that's really, uh, you know, conversations that he will have. And David Cameron, of course, on the world stage. But, you know, we we have uh, grand ideas about uh, the amount of um, sway we hold. It's, it's all about the US. And if we can hold a bit of sway with the US administration, that's all we can do, really. So away from this debate, Liz, um, sort of elsewhere in British Westminster politics, um, what has been going on with the Conservative Party this week? Well, speaking of petty politics, (laughs) 
so in Toryland, Business Secretary uh, Kemi Badenoch, who I know you've had as Villain of the Week on, on this podcast before, who is the bookie's favourite, of course, at the moment to be the next Tory leader, has come out swinging this week in an astonishing row with the man she sacked from his job as the chair of the post office, Henry Staunton. Now, Staunton gave an interview with the Sunday Times in which he made a number of claims, the most damaging of which was that he said a senior civil servant had told him to stall on compensation payments to victims of the Horizon IT scandal. Badenoch reacted with a series of furious tweets before then coming to the Commons the following day to Bran Staunton, a liar. It is not fair on the victims of this scandal, which has already ruined so many lives and livelihoods, to claim, as Mr Staunton has done, that this is being dragged out a second longer than it ought to be. For Henry Staunton to suggest otherwise, for whatever personal motives, is a disgrace and it risks damaging confidence in the compensation schemes which ministers and civil servants are working so hard to deliver. I would hope that most people reading the interview in yesterday's Sunday Times would see it for what it was, a blatant attempt to seek revenge following dismissal. Now, the Tory press loved it, but Staunton said he was standing by his comment about delaying compensation and has now published a memo suggesting he was told by a senior civil servant to hobble into the next election and not rip off the Band-Aid in terms of finances. This latest memo from Staunton is uh, it's quite funny, really, because it's a little note that he made uh, to himself in the meeting that he's produced as evidence. We can choose to believe him or not, but writing a note to yourself is not is not really evidence. Um, but yeah, I think I think more broadly, I don't know what you think about this niche, but in terms when it comes to the post office scandal, the last thing you want really uh, as a government is to be on the wrong side of it. And I think Kemi Badenoch is very much um, by continuing this public row is in danger of getting on the wrong side of this. I can tell you the one thing I never, ever want to hear again in conjunction with something to do with a member of parliament, and that is in a string of furious tweets. It's I, That is not the way that she should be engaging uh, with this issue. Uh, Rishi Sunak has offered a defence of her based on a question uh, asked by Keir Starmer at uh, Prime Minister's Question Time. I would say the defence was not fulsome. <laughs> <laughs> I would say Rishi Sunak offered a technical defence of Kemi Badenoch. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really difficult for Rishi Sunak because it's one of those, do you want her in the tent or outside of the tent? She's a, You certainly don't want her to be uh, gathering allies and causing problems on the back benches, but I'm sure he doesn't. Uh, I'm sure he's not a huge fan of the way she conducts herself either. I mean, I should just say as well, there's another um, very chemi story out today, which is that she appeared in front of a committee of MPs to talk about uh, ongoing trade talks with Canada uh, that she insisted were still uh, going on. And when they checked with Canada, uh, they said, oh, no, they we're not having trade talks anymore. <laughs> And yet she has come out again, guns blazing. No, we are. I mean, look, I'm no expert on trade talks, but I think at least the country that you're talking to needs to know that they're going on for there to be any chance that they're going to be a success. Kerry is and always has been full of shit. And that's that's one thing she's been consistent on. There's certainly a pattern emerging, I would say. That's a sort of freedom, like an intrinsic knowledge, like you are part ocean, ocean is part you. You have salt water in your body. You are part of this. Oceans, life underwater. A new podcast all about the oceans and the mind-blowing life within them. Subscribe now to Oceans, Life Underwater on your favorite podcast app. The New York Times calls BritBox the best of British telly. Stream acclaimed original series, including Payback, starring Peter Mullen, Stonehouse, starring Matthew McFadden, and Archie, the man who became Cary Grant, starring Jason Isaacs. Plus, discover powerful new series like Three Little Birds and the return of BAFTA-winning drama Time, starring Bella Ramsey, Tamara Lawrence, and Jodie Whittaker. Stream the best of British TV only on BritBox. Start a free trial at BritBox.com. Sofas, recliners, love seats, everything is better in leather. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley, where bold meets durable and... 
Wait a minute. Who's been finger painting on the couch again? That's okay. Leather is easy to clean. The new leather collection at Ashley is built with the durability you need for the whole family. Yes, pets too. Luxury is meant to be livable. Shop chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Before there was X Factor, before there was American Idol, there was Pop Idol. Our guest this week, Will Young, shot to fame in 2002 after becoming the first winner of a show that became a huge global phenomenon. The winner of Pop Idol 2002 is Will! Number one singles and albums followed, as did an acting career on screen and on stage. And now Will Young is making waves as a political activist. Well, welcome to the show, Will Young. It's so nice to have you here. I love seeing those clips back. Do you? You know what's really nice is, um, is I get to see clips of my family and friends in the audience. That was your brother? That was my brother, who's dead, sadly. Sorry to say that. I know, He's I know, but I saw the documentary, but I, yeah. I, I noticed that he was in the audience yeah. there. And it must be, is it nice for you to see? It's lovely. Yeah. I love it. And, um, and, and I just, I just like seeing the awful haircuts all my friends had. I mean, they are really, <laughs> really bad haircuts. I remember you talking about your politics degree on Pop Idol, I think. Was it discussed <laughs> at the time? Yeah, they probably asked me to stop. I mean, it was like the antithesis of a pop star, you know, posh, um, quite nerdy, shy. Politics student. Politics student, gay. I mean, people could have told that. Obviously, I had to come out publicly later, but my first song was Aretha Franklin. Um, You know, it was pretty obvious in a tank top. Um, You know, and and, talking about politics. Can I make a confession, though? Yeah, go on. Because I was 15 at the time when you won Pop Idol. And I remember you talking about, I think you did talk about politics on the show. And I was a real politics nerd, obviously. And so I had a bit of a crush on you. Yeah, you were. Oh, sorry, I hit the mic. So I was like, well, maybe me and Will Young are going to get married. It wasn't you that wrote the letter saying, um, dear Will, now you've come out as gay. I'm really worried for you because no woman will marry you. It wasn't. Th- <laughs> no. no, thankfully it wasn't me. Which I have framed. Oh, my God. Yeah. It was the sweetest letter I've ever had in my life. <laughs> They were, na- they were nasty at once. <laughs> Some weren't so kind. So, look, a petition you set up calling for an end to medical testing on dogs was actually debated at Westminster this week. Um, can you just explain what you're calling for and why? Yes. Yeah, I was there. It was really fascinating, actually. i calling for an immediate ban on testing on dogs. So it was sort of during COVID. And then I, I came across this place called MBR Acres, and I just couldn't believe there was this breeding facility, a puppy farm, basically, in Cambridgeshire. It's been going for about 30, 40 years, actually. It was called, used to be called something else. Um, that breed up to 2,000 dogs a year. And the dogs are uh, then farmed out to laboratories around the UK to be tested on. But they're also tested on inside the place. Um, so sort of trigger warning before I say what happens to them. Um but uh, they're bled out on site uh, for the whole of their life. Um, you know, no anaesthetic. Uh, there's no limits. There's no regulations on how many puppies um, the female dogs, uh, how many litters they're meant to have. So sometimes they have up to 2,000 puppies. And I mean, it's just awful. Um, so I was just feeling increasingly sort of a bit disgusted by it all and, and a bit helpless. And then I have a rule that is, well, if I feel helpless and hopeless... I have to remind myself that I'm not. So I ordered some <laughs> I ordered some handcuffs on Amazon and then okay. set off and drove up to MBR Acres and handcuffed myself to the gates, which was hysterical. There's a lot to unpick there. No, there's um, so much. Not least what that's done to your Amazon recommendations. Well, actually, that's, yeah, the <laughs> algorithms definitely changed quite a like, lot. It's got a lot of love balls suddenly being thrown yeah. my way. But I was sort of shameless about it. And just was ringing everyone, you know, like local papers, just going, hello, I'm Will Young and I'm here. And I love shamelessly plugging myself if it's not about stuff to do with me, you know, so I'll do it for for a charitable cause, you know, but I I wouldn't ring up the sort of Cambridge Gazette and go, hi, I'm on tour. Just do you want to talk to me? (laughs) Um, and And it did get a lot of coverage. 
I thought I need to get all these people, all these different groups talking to each other. I think shared knowledge and information and creates more cohesion, more power, you know. So I sort of started just talking to lots of people from Chris Packham to Animal Aid, um, Animal Free Research, <clears throat> Zach Goldsmith, you know, we're, we're not politically aligned, but animals, he loves animals. And he actually left the Tories because of the anim- lack of animal welfare bill that they didn't follow through, which I thought was very admirable. Um, and so then met with Keir Starmer. I sort of had an in there um, and it sort of snowballed spoke at the Labour conference. I mean, I just chased down people. I must be so annoying. But that's the advantage, right, of kind of of being famous, that yeah. you you get people are willing to speak yes. to you and you can sort of, you can make change happen. Yes. Can I ask you about the, the your experience in Westminster Hall? So you went to that debate in Parliament. Yeah, it was, yeah. What did you think of it? It was amazing, actually. Um, they had a really good turnout of MPs. I really enjoyed listening to all the points. I quite enjoyed the kind of ritual of the committee. I thought that was really interesting. But I did walk out when the Tory minister started talking. Just in protest. I don't like being gaslit. So so I stood up purposefully, made a little bit of a sort of a noise and I walked out. So I didn't wait for the government response because I just don't trust them. And I just, I, to be honest, I, I stopped dealing with Tories because it was triggering me. And I just felt uh, gen- genuinely traumatised after being in their presence. Um, so I just made a decision that I'm just not going to deal with them. Let's hear a, a clip from the debate. Here, here is one of the Conservative MPs, Tracy Crouch. Now, I naturally, as somebody who's campaigned on these issues for a long time, fall into the majority view on animal testing when it comes to cosmetics. And actually, I'd like to thank my honourable friend for Red Ruth and Campbell for the work that he did on this um, as Secretary of State. However, when it comes to medicines, I tend to melt into a mess of complexity because sometimes personal experiences and those of our constituents can muddy a binary view on this issue. Now, I have absolutely no doubt that the success of my breast cancer treatment is down to experiments that have taken place in the past on animals. Yeah, she was really good, actually. And I I thought, um, I mean, she's an example of a good Tory MP, so they're not all awful. But it's about a roadmap. So I've asked for sort of immediate ban of testing on dogs and and I, and we had some good results because um, they have pledged more funding, which is great, towards uh, non-animal testing methods and labs. Um, so I think we're going in the right direction. And I think Labour have been always been better on animal welfare. Yeah. Tracy Crouch later herself clarified that she doesn't advocate or support any testing on dogs. She did, yeah. You know, we're always interested and excited by the idea that people who have a specific uh, campaign that they want to get behind can actually translate it into political action. So you feel positive about the experience? Yeah, it really can. I mean, you know, I'm very aware of what I bring to it. So I was canvassing, um, I won't say who, but I was canvassing one of the um, MPs in that petition. um, And it was like something out of a drama, like an hour before the person was going in. Um, it was hysterical, ringing their, ringing their office. Then I tracked down them to their local their constituency. And I think just because... Oh, my they, God, you were lobbying them hard. I was lobbying. It was, <laughs> no, and it was... Re- I really enjoy it. I was really lobbying. And what was the, what was the response like? It changed. Did they, like, I think stop I, harassing me, Will Young? <laughs> um, well, I mean, we're, we are with lawyers, but um, I think they sort of think if they're... If they know what I do for a living, I suppose it's a little bit more interesting having a, an actor and a pop star ringing up rather than someone from the local, you know, mealworm association or whatever it is. Do you know what I mean? I suppose given the given the order of their days, it's probably worth a phone call, maybe. And that's the way I see it. I've managed to get the attention of some really good people. And also I'm aware that I can give my support different causes and and different parties. And that comes with something. You know, I'm not Taylor Swift. I'm not changing the election, but I'm aware of what I bring. Um, And I get a lot of satisfaction um, from it. And to to be honest, I just keep on coming back to the sights of the dogs. And I just think this is why you're doing it. You know, so like most of my things in my life are ego led, but this isn't ego led. 
I suppose that's rather refreshing in itself. Dog-led. It's dog-led. You've not sort of got into politics later in your life, as we just previously discussed. You've always been interested in politics. You studied it. Yeah. Um, you were, you'd studied it at university, I think, by the time you got onto Pop Idol. Mm. So what's your, why the interest in politics? I remember doing it at A-levels and I found it really interesting working out how our country runs, you know, or could run or, you know, should run. Um, I'm interested in the um, corridors of power. I do find it fascinating. Yeah, so what are your thoughts it's on Westminster? It's just so interesting. I mean, the, the, the first time, now I've sort of been going there a fair amount. I went to a very grand school and, and it was very, I was very used to grandeur in a, in a, in a building or in an institution. And I always, by the way, was always really grateful for it and appreciative, which is sort of odd as a sort of child. But I remember walking around thinking, God, you were lucky to be in this, but you know, it was the most incredible grounds, incredible building. So going into parliament, I don't get, I don't get, bamboozled by the grandiosity of it but weirdly there's a sort of slight sort of comfort to it which it disturbs me because it's the because inst- I'm so institutionalized because I went to boarding school that's what David Cameron said oh, David really? Cameron said it's like wow. it's just like going to school yeah. well yeah well good old David's good back again isn't he um, <laughs> good old David savior on a white horse god do you think that that's part of the problem with access and getting more variety in yes. the backgrounds of members of parliament. You know, if you segue from boarding school to parliament yes. and you're not phased by any of it. Yeah, 100%. It literally, the Houses of Parliament looks like the dining room that I used to have my tea in. And wow. so so you, you feel really comfortable there. Yeah. But for me, because I've done a lot of work on myself and sort of kind of want to not just exist in my own echo chamber and bubble as much as possible, um, it also feels there's it's slightly discomforting to me how a part of me is really settled quite quickly. But then the other weird thing is, is you have the two main parties and it's like being in Harry Potter because you just have the Tories are like Slytherin. I mean, they just wander around (laughs) and the people around them, because they're so, you know, they're not in a good place, are they? And they're they're not going to hopefully be in government. So they just give off this energy. It's not just the MPs, it's the people around them of like slightly embittered, and slightly jaded traffic wardens. You know, they're just like, I don't care, I'm going to give you a ticket anyway. Do you know what I mean? So they're a bit like that. And then the Labour are really like quite jolly. And and also what I've noticed, and I might have this wrong, but... Who, my... who, do, you, who do you consider Hufflepuff then? Oh, Caroline Lucas probably. She's probably Hufflepuff, isn't she? <laughs> Love Caroline Lucas. Um, but the other thing is, I think I noticed a lot more diversity in the Labour people and in their teams. It just feels so much more diverse and real, you know, and it just doesn't feel like that with the Tories. And then you go into the chamber and you watch the debates. And I mean, I went into 1PMQs. I didn't want to because I knew I would find it so outrageous. And it just is outrageous. It's just awful. People are just like on their phones, WhatsApping you know, uh, chortling away, wah, 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 wah. you know, very kind of male-led. It feels like the voices seem to be very male-led because I think women are just a, a bit cooler and like, screw this, what's going on? So it's just a lot of, lot of men going, wah, wah, wah. and I'm thinking like, you're running the fucking country and it just makes me so angry. So that that whole element, I don't like. And also it's very intoxicating because it's corridors of power. Yeah. So I can see why people get, uh, bewitched by it. I think that's a really interesting question because I've thought about this a lot because somebody like you, somebody like David Cameron, sorry to lump you together because I know you won't enjoy that, but you know, if you if you went to a private... <laughs> if you went to a private boys' school and then you go and work in the House of Commons, that feels comfortable. If you're like me and you come from a comprehensive school in South Yorkshire, it's fucking intimidating. And when I joined as a journalist 10 years ago, I literally didn't speak for like five years. And every time I went down and sat somewhere, someone would come up to me and be like, excuse me, that's that's someone else's chair. Wow. And <laughs> no, we di- I didn't know it was someone else's chair. I just accidentally sat in it. You're always being kind of moved along or quiet. You know, every, everything had kind of these rituals that I didn't understand that was secret. How did you find your place within that? Was that then through experience and realising you do have a right to be there? Well, you just, you you hang in there. Yeah. And then you watch people. I remember seeing Jess Phillips talk 
in various various different events, she would always put her hand up and be like, sorry, uh, I don't really know whether I'm supposed to talk now, but I'm just going to say something. And I always used to be like, okay, that's, yes. I need to kind of copy, copy Jess a little bit and just try and bulldoze my way through. But it's hard. It's very intimidating. They should change that whole chamber. They should change the whole lot. It should be, it should be in a new building brand spanking new and sort of neutral because it doesn't feel like that at all. You've you've got a sort of track record with the Labour Party now, uh, Will. Um, in 2018, you interviewed then uh, leader Jeremy Corbyn for a podcast and you actually attended the Labour Party conference. Have you always been a Labour supporter? No, I was more Lib Dem, to be honest. I was always interested in peaceful political protest and democracy. I mean, I protested when I was 16 at the Newbury Bypass and set up a sort of eco-society at school. And the thing is, because I'm posh, people think that I'm I'm Tory, um, which was which was useful for a while because I could get meetings with people because they'd be like, oh, it's a good old boy coming in. Uh, but now I think the game's up because I all I, I mean, I spend a lot of time just slagging off the Tories on Instagram and I really enjoy it. Um, you know, I, my favourite thing is to find really awful pictures of Liz Truss and then I just put them up going, don't forget about her, you know, and I really enjoy that. Um, but to be honest, uh, I moved more towards Labour. Part of it was was anti-Tory, which I think obviously with the latest by-election, so there's been a lot about that, like are people pro-Labour or anti-Tory? But it was driven by that. And, you know, I, I think... The final straw was seeing the parties during COVID and and just the lack of because I've I've grown up around a lot of those type that type of entitlement. My parents aren't like that; they're not snobby, um, and thank God. So I was wasn't. It probably washed off a little bit of entitlement being in that sort of system, but not. I was never a full on asshole, and but I know those assholes because I went to school with them. I was taught by them. And I see them. And during COVID, that kind of level of we deserve this, we are better than others. And the rules that, don't apply to us. The rules don't. But it's, it's more than that, though. It's, it's not just the rules don't apply. It's that we, we're owed this. We're owed this, you know, and that just disgusted me. So while I'm in a, in a funeral for my brother that's killed himself with my three family members, the worst, it wasn't a laugh a minute, you know, the 25 minutes or whatever it was in a crematorium in Berkshire. Mm. Why I'm having to stick to the rules and I'm not the only one. So I just suddenly something flipped, switched me and I thought these people are, they're the worst types of humans. There are some nice Tories. By the way, my local MP in Berkshire, she's um, Tory, Laura, I can't remember her surname now. But she did a lot for beagles, uh, for testing on dogs, and she actually tabled a question in Parliament. So I don't want to tar them all with the same brush. But there's just such a disregard. And I just, I just the, the anger for others that I feel... I, you know, I just suddenly switched and that was it. And I thought I'm going to use my platform. I'm sure I've now created my own, you know, no, I don't know how many floating voters are like following my Instagram. Um, but, you know, it's my latest thing is what I really want to do is I want to go to Somerset and just put up massive billboards of Jacob Rees-Mogg um, in his constituency where he's reclining in the Commons. You know, that awful picture. Because <laughs> I I put that up about once a week, just going, don't forget this man. And I, I'm really toying with the idea There's of... a little picture of Nish doing that behind you. Can you see? <laughs> oh my God, that's so funny. I mean, oh God, it's just the word. And I'm thinking about blowing them up and putting them around in his constituency just for the hell of it because I just want to see him tumble you know they're just they're just the worst and they create they've, the division they've created and it just makes me so angry and, and sad so I've become a lot more activist really mm. and I genuinely by the way think that if they were to continue in government I, I think that this country would would go to some sort of Armageddon sort of George Orwell state because they just want to destroy it. And these people are terrifying. Because so I don't even know if they believe, you know, the people like the Bravamans and, you know, I don't even know if they believe what they're saying, but they know the impact of it. You know what I mean? So like perfect example, yeah. 
um, gay immigrants. And and stop me if I'm ranting because I will just rant. But um, this is no, my that's com- fine. this that's is my sort of this the, is sweet, right, this sort of the raison. This is what we got you on oh, for. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yes. Well, this, <laughs> this this is also my comedy show. Um, so like like it sounds a lot like my comedy shows. I'll be okay. honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> this, is why I, this I know. This is why I know we're going to be best friends. Um, you know, she 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 came out and and she'd done that thing in America, and then she, you know, spoke about gay migrants, which were like naught point. Two percent of migrants, anyway. She knows what she's doing. They all know. I mean, obviously, she's gone now. I'm sure try and rear her head again, but they all know what they're doing. It's it's targeting the vulnerable, and I've I just can't bear it. And then you know, you ask the Home Office for statistics on um, L, um, LGBT migrants. They didn't have any. They didn't have any statistics. She's just making it up, mm. and it's just it's just mind-blowing to me people need to know this they're literally making it up the whole time and just targeting the vulnerable to create division to create more headlines and the worst thing about it all is they're just clinging the whole drive behind it is just to back to the corridors of power is just to stay in power they're clinging on it's why he won't call an election just give me the power for another six months Mm. do you know what i mean Mm You've said that the you that the UK is becoming a hostile environment for LGBTQIA people. Is that part of your fear about a potential conservative victory, however remote the prospect seems at this point? Yeah, I said that deliberately, by the way, because also that there are crossovers between being a performer and being a politician. You know how to get a headline. You know you've got to give them a little quip. You know you've got to give them a soundbite. And so I deliberately said. I feel scared as a gay man in this country because I wanted to get it out. Um, that being said, I don't feel comfortable as a gay man um, uh, on what I experience and also what I see for, for for others and particularly transgender people. You know, the kind of quips that you see in the House of Commons and the way it's being picked up as, a, as an issue Um it's just another prime example of, of the Tories. And and to be honest, I think Labour could be stronger on it. Um, and that scares me because it's, again, they're just using marginalised groups to spread hate and, and try and garner more power. Um, so I, I don't feel safe. I think the Braverman thing was was actually the kind of final straw really for me. And that was, had just sort of happened around, I think in the same week she'd done the LGBT people. And then she would also, I'm patron of a homeless charity. And she said, homelessness is a, is a lifestyle choice. And, you know, I was just, <laughs> it's just like, I also think that I think they're a bit, un- they're mad. You know, that's the other thing is they are sort of mad. Do you know what I mean? I mean, they, I think they are, I think they need to be evaluated. <laughs> <laughs> um, I should clarify uh, uh, what uh, Suella actually said. Um, it, it was uh, fearing discrimination for being gay or a woman should not be enough to qualify for international refugee protection. Speaking to a US think tank, yeah. it was whether the application of the UN's 1951 Refugee Convention is fit for our modern age. That's always been her. Uh, yeah, that's always been her position, yeah, yeah, which, yeah. which is that the laws that already exist are now being gamed um, by yes. by people coming into the country. Um, lost your faith in politics or do you feel hopeful no, about, about the future I'm of it? I'm like the opposite. I've become more hopeful. Oh good, I'm so pleased. Yeah, no, I really am actually. I had a moment yesterday or the day before and I was like, I might, I might become an MP. I honestly, no, no, I had a wow. moment. Oh my no, no, God, do it. It was really funny. I think I was, it was either listening to you, the by-election, it was all about the by-elections. I can't remember if it was you, you, you guys, that your podcast on it, the latest one or someone else. But anyway, I was thinking by-elections and I was like, my God, I could come become an MP. Um, no, I'm really, just, I'm really infused text by Keir it. Starmer. I really, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna text old, <laughs> I'm gonna text old K Dog. Um, would you um, like, like genuinely though? Would you really number. think about it? I would actually, because because I, this isn't this isn't a sales pitch for Labour, but I genuinely do feel hope 
when I'm around the people in Labour, when I talk to them, the meetings I've had with them. You know, I, I had one good meeting with one good Conservative law as my local MP. And that's only because my mum basically beat her up on email. It's Laura Farris. I Laura Farris, that's yeah. it. You know, and my mum did. My mum, her emails to Laura Farris were bordering on. I mean, I mean, she wasn't reported, to be honest. And I, I rang up my mum and I was like, um, quite strong wording to Laura. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, they need to do more. I said, I'm going to take a different approach, slightly more diplomatic and less swear words. Um, <laughs> but, you know, she was good. But other meetings I'd had with Tory people, it was it was really disappointing. And I get a lot of hope from Labour. And, you know, like Steve Reed, who's shadow defro. I mean, he's brilliant. They've just announced the fox hunting thing. They did the badgers. Um, and, and they're really hopeful. And I genuinely think that we need that in this country. Um and I need it as a citizen. You know, I want to feel like things aren't absolutely hopeless. Mm. How would you find it being an MP though? What do you, like day I'd be, to day? I, well, the dick pics would get me sent out within a day, to be honest, let's be honest. <laughs> no, that's pretty standard <laughs> yeah, actually. Well, it's probably pretty standard. <laughs> I need more. I need more, don't I? I need more than that. Yeah, get the archive out. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think... Um, Listen, you can't do it in the chamber. We've discovered no, you can't no. be you no, can't was, be looking at porn in the chamber. He wasn't looking at porn in he was looking at a tractor's website, wasn't he? Or something. What it was, was, tra- it? It was, yeah, that was so funny. Um I mean that is just see those politics for those kind of stories, I'm all here for. I don't get wound up about that. I mean they're obviously they're mental, but it's so funny. Um I think I'd like it. I would probably wouldn't toe the line and um um I, I'd probably wouldn't last long. And uh, cabinet position? What do you fancy? Oh, I'd go all in. Yeah, I'd go yeah, in for yeah. the cabinet. Well, any any in particular? Treasury, home sec, no, foreign like, sec? I'd quite like DEFRA because it's a massive brief, but I'm a country boy, so I'd quite like that. But I'd probably have quite a few clashes because I know there's a lot of farming is, um, you know, I Tory. Can see, I can see this happening. Shout out to Labour leadership. Will Young's available. Well, why not? Why, why not? Why not? Don't you think the funny thing, I really like Rishi, um, Rishi um, Sunak talking at the Farmers Union. Have you seen that? And they've and they've gone, he's quoted Eisenhower. I don't know if you saw this, but they've gone <laughs> so funny. They've gone, he's such a dick. Gone, I, feel, <laughs> I feel really sorry for him because I actually think he might be an all right person, but I just think he's a bit of a dick. He just needs to like take all that money he's got and just don't do politics. Enjoy your life. You know, he's got like 750 million or something. Just enjoy your life. What's he what's the man doing? Go off to the Maldives. But anyway, he's gone <laughs> he's gone to the, you know, he's gone to the farmers union. He's clearly like his team has gone to, you know, there's a website, isn't there, for the best quotes? It's called something like Best Quotes. Yeah, it's, it's uh, quite like quotable or something. That's it. something and if like you type, that, yeah. type in for farming, the first quote that comes up is from Eisenhower. So they haven't even <laughs> they haven't even gone down the list. They haven't even got down the list. You know, at least get to like the fourth one. You know, it's just so funny. It's made me laugh. Well, we're lucky they didn't scroll down too far, Will. Otherwise, Rishi Sunak would have ended up singing Old MacDonald to a group of understandably furious farmers. I mean, I'm here for that. I'm here for that. I feel I feel so sorry for him. I feel like he just is just not equipped. You know, everything from the Piers Morgan handshake taking the bet. He's just not equipped. He's just a he's a nerdy guy who was Chancellor. You know, he just needs to, like, not do it. Do you know what I mean? Well, well, listen, you've heard it here first, everybody. Will Young is setting out his stall <laughs> to go from pop star to prime minister. You'd be better than a, a, a significant number of the MPs <laughs> that are already in Westminster. I think I would, actually. You would? The next time you see me when I'm doing the full political campaign, I mean, I will be full on Trump by that stage. You know that, don't you? I'll just be, even if I met you, I'd just be saying lies. Oh, you with your lefty lies, lies, lies. <laughs> yeah, great. Um, Go for it. Will, uh, you've got our vote. Um, thank you so much for taking the time and joining us. Um, and uh, good luck with the campaign and good luck with your future career in <laughs> politics, I guess. Oh, I need it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much. It's great that it started here. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to run my campaign. Liz, we like to end the show by nominating a hero and villain of the week. Would you like to get us rolling by telling us who's your hero of the week? Uh, Yes, I would. This week, I want to celebrate someone who has been fighting for children in care and for anyone who has gone through 
the care system. So here's Samantha Morton, who grew up in foster care and children's homes, using her amazing acceptance speech after receiving the BAFTA Fellowship Award at the weekend to highlight the issue. And I dedicate this award to every child in care today or who's been in care or is suffering or who didn't survive. And as the amazing actress Chrissy Rock once told me, don't let the bastards grind you down. Thank you. <laughs> now, Samantha Morton doesn't need me bigging her up. So for my hero this week, I'm going for someone else a little less celebrated Terry Galloway, who grew up in care, living in more than 100 different places. He now leads a campaign for councils to recognise care experience as a protected characteristic, like age, disability or religion. Last week, Cambridge City Council became the 80th council in England, Scotland and Wales to sign up. Here's Terry telling us what it all means. Practically speaking for the councils, it means that whenever they make decisions or design new services for their populations, they have to think about how those decisions and services affect care experience people and what that will do is it will give care experience people voice in places that they haven't been heard before. I'm doing this because um, care experience people are 70% more likely to die prematurely than any other group. You know I've lost my sister, we was at a funeral, by that time she'd lost her children um, she was really thin. She was addicted to drugs, addicted to alcohol. And, and basically she said to me, I don't want to be next, Terry. And all I could do to, to give her hope was to, to try and persuade her to let's use our experience to make it so that other people don't have to suffer like us. But unfortunately, she was next. And, and several months later, she, she was killed by, by a boyfriend. So this is really a promise to her and, and, and a dedication to all the care experience people out there. Hero of the week. Well... I'm humbled by it and I really am and I'm so grateful but I'd really I'd like to pass that on to all the care experience people out there who are suffering who have suffered and and who have fallen um you know we've really got to get this system changed and until until it's changed and we've got practical meaningful change for our care experience people so that they're not suffering then, then I'll be a hero. It's amazing these people that um dedicate their lives to uh, making other people's lives better based on an experience that they've had. And I would also like to name check one more person in this area, a guy called Chris Wilde, who is exactly in a, in a very similar position, grew up in care. He now works with children in care and he does everything he can to uh, draw attention to their experience. He's been lobbying the government really hard uh, to make this change uh, for people uh, to have uh, their care experience uh, uh, protected as a characteristic like many other um, protected char characteristics are. So I think the, the, they're amazing people. They deserve all our love and support. Absolutely incredible. Re yeah, really, really, really powerful and really, really amazing people. Yeah. Um, Nish, who's your villain? Well, my villain of the week uh, is uh, an anonymous sign writer at York Hospital um, who represents a couple of different characteristics that I think people find suboptimal. Um, not least people who leave slightly aggy, passive-aggressive notes in the workplace. So York Hospital has actually had to apologise for a sign in the library that labelled Indian food as smelly. And this is what the sign actually said. The food and drinks policy, hot and cold drinks are allowed in the library. Please do not bring any food into the library space especially not samosas, pakoras or filled chapatis, as they are very smelly. Um, someone posted uh, a photo of this sign uh, on uh, the website formerly known as Twitter with the poster asking what, what was the need for the last sentence? And it's been viewed by more than 4 million people and attracted widespread criticism and then shared on anti-racism social media pages, although the comments under the post seem to have descended into a debate about whether Indian food is smelly or not. Uh, the Hospital Trust said that the sign was absolutely not in line with its value and have been removed as soon as they were made aware of it. Now, look, listen, speaking as the children of Indian immigrants, you ungrateful people, we have brought you cuisine that tastes good. We have made your national dish into curry. I'm sorry if you think that food having smell is a bad thing and it can't all be a flavourless brown smush. But listen, the, the smell is good. Let the smell into your life. Let flavour into your lives. Otherwise, just, you know, spend the rest of your time eating boiled vegetables and hard potatoes. 
just I it's the smell of Indian food is delicious, and I stand by this statement that anyone who complains about the smell of Indian food should be forced to eat nothing but boiled carrots for the rest of their fucking lives. I, I get the sense that the person that wrote this uh, sign maybe does just eat boiled carrots. I, I, have a, <laughs> I have a real picture of a quite a, quite a lonely, a lonely person, a joyless individual, if you like, sort of shaking his fist at the kids outside the outside his house that are playing in the street and that type of thing. Let chapathis into your life, my friend. Yes. Let let samosas into your life. Let pakoras into your life. Food can taste good. Open your heart to to joy <laughs> and smell. <laughs> you could get in touch with us, um, maybe to give us uh, your best smelling foods. Um, uh, but uh, you could do that by emailing us at psuk at reducedlistening.co.uk. Um, it's always nice to hear your voices. So do send us a voice note on WhatsApp. Our number is 07514 Internationally, that's plus four four seven five one four six four four five seven two. And don't forget to follow at Pod Save the UK on Instagram and Twitter. You can also find us on YouTube for access to full episodes and other exclusive content. And why not drop us a review too? We sure we want reviews? Listen, we we, we welcome the feedback. Just not from, not from the note guy. We don't want your <laughs> reviews. You shush. Thank you so much for filling in uh, this week, Liz. Um, excitingly, you will also be back next week, uh, but this time filling in for me. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, really exciting for listeners because a lot less you, a lot more me. So that's <laughs> surely give the public what they want. Give the public what they want. And what are you going to be doing? You're going to be on holes. You're just going to be enjoying your I, life. I'm going to be uh, in Los Angeles. Um, You're so fancy. I'm going to be in Los Angeles wearing a big floppy hat and consuming legal marijuana. Pod Save the UK is a reduced listing production for Crooked Media. Thanks to senior producer Musti Aziz and digital producer Alex Bishop. Video editing was by Will Darkin and the music is by Vasilis Fotopoulos. Thanks to our engineer David Degahi. The executive producers are Anishka Sharma, Dan Jackson and Madeline Herringer with additional support from Ari Schwartz. Remember to hit subscribe for new shows on Thursdays on Amazon, Spotify or Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. Listener.